I think it's true to say that we live in a world that is increasingly hostile to the Lord's people and hostile to his word. But at the same time, there are, of course, many people who uh, they don't uh, kind of not believe in God or they do believe in God, they're just not interested. And I think it's a, a fairly commonly held view that uh, if you want to be a Christian, it's not really much different than joining the AA or having an interest in a fishing club. It's just something that you do. And if you listen to the media, or you read the newspapers, there's very few places or people that will tell the population different. In many ways, although our voice today can travel around the world through sermon audio, and it does, it, it doesn't reach the myriads of people uh, that need to hear the gospel. We think of all of those in the village. Uh, they're not here. Um, although we go out with the word and we give them leaflets, etc. But they miss the point that this is something that God does and they miss the point that their whole eternity hangs on the gospel. Well, one of the things people do query is the existence of God. How do you prove the existence of anything? Um, you say, well, we prove the existence of a chair by feeling and examining, etc. You say, well, you can't do that with God. But God has described himself to us in many ways, many of which, of course, are revealed in God's word. And... Uh, from what we read therein, we learn not only of the existence of God, we learn much about him. So it might be a good question just to kind of kick our thoughts going is, how would you explain God to someone who claimed to know nothing about him? It's uh, perhaps a difficult concept, and yet that's something the missionaries do quite regularly. And I know our friends, when they were in Brazil, uh, they would have gone uh, to those people my understanding is correct, who knew nothing about who God was. And so you start at the beginning. And I know the New Tribes Mission, they do a study that, again, literally goes through the Bible. And the Bible is set out in, in such a way that it makes sense. And uh, I know Graham has shown us uh, clips, hasn't he, of people listening to the, the fact of, of sin and creation and then kind of not really understanding what's happening as such, and then reading of the coming of Jesus Christ and his death and realising how awful that was, and then to see them rejoicing in the fact that the next story they read was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we would probably start at the beginning. And I've tried that with a few people. If they didn't know much about the gospel, if they were willing to talk, to begin to talk about creation, it's a good place to start. Another good place to start is with the law of God. Start with creation, as people can see around them that, that creation is there, whatever they believe about it. You can say, well, you know, flowers, trees, and all the rest of it. And if you start with the law of God, uh, of course, the law is the sharp end of the needle, isn't it? So you do need the law. The law is there to point us to Christ. And when you start talking to people and say, well, uh, ha have you uh, always kept the Lord's day? Have you? And you go through one or two of those commandments, according to which ones you think might fit them, they have to acknowledge, no, I haven't done that, I haven't done the other. And so they are acknowledging themselves that they have broken the law of God. And of course the breaking of the law is sin. But it's not that difficult to get people to come to the conclusion that they are sinners. They might only accept it on what you've just told them, but nevertheless it, it, it's a way in. I want us to consider for a little while tonight the existence of God. Looking at how God shows his existence to us 
and the revelation that he gives. And, and I think by looking at this, it might help us when we do speak to people who either say, well, I don't believe in God, or, as I mentioned this morning, the agnostics who say, well, I'm not sure. Um, I did come across a little book, only arrived this week, but uh, it's an outreach book. It says, are you 100% sure you want to be an agnostic? Uh, it takes a little bit of thinking about that one, doesn't it? The, the, the title of it, but it's, it's an evangelistic tool. And if you found someone who actually said, well, I'm an agnostic, it's a great little book to give them. So first of all, what's our first heading? God announces his existence that we might believe. You know, all the knowledge we have about God comes from God. Uh, for some people, that's enough for them to say, I don't want to know then. How can that be? We're not going to take any notice of it, that information. We'll see more about them later. But God's existence is the very first statement in Scripture, isn't it? God simply announces his existence in Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. In other words, God presents himself initially as the creator in the beginning, God created. He doesn't give any explanation. He doesn't say, I've been there from eternity, not at that point anyway. He doesn't say why he's creating the heavens and the earth at that particular point. It is the opening words of scripture is, if I can say this with respect, I'm here. He announces himself as being there without any explanation. And that's enough, of course, for people to believe by sovereign grace. But of course, there's lots of evidence for um, the matter that is in fact faith that he has revealed about himself. Now, the world at large, of course, doesn't see that as a matter of faith. The world at large sees the existence of God as science, as they do for evolution. And, uh, of course, the two things are tied up. Um, but that matter of science it is science without the foundation that says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so, for many people who want to talk and discuss about evolution and the existence of God, they start from the premise that uh, God doesn't exist. There is the bias there of the old nature, which we'll look at a bit later. Now, if you look for the existence of God in science, you will find evidence of him. Um, if you look at the Creation Ministries uh, international website, there are papers there on almost every aspect of creation and the things we see around us. Uh, you can show that. There, there are scientists who write those papers, etc. We'll find evidence of God in science, but you will not find God himself in science. The, the evidence for God, the acceptance of the existence of God is a matter of faith. And really it's, a, it's an insult to God to de demand proof of his existence when he has spoken. Now that's an alien concept to people because they would equate scripture and the things we say with what they hear in the world. They, they can argue with people, they can say things are different. Well, of course they could say people, things are different to scripture, but it doesn't change the truth. We, we live in an age, don't we, well that's your truth and that's my truth. Uh, it's a bit like giving someone a poisoned apple and say, well, that's your apple and that's my apple. You can choose which one you want, but only one will enable you to live. So that's the first important point. It's a brief one. God announces his existence that we might believe. It's a matter of faith, a matter of the heart. But how does he reveal himself to us then? Well, the first one is obvious, of course, through his word. Um, it can be said, really, the whole Bible 
is the revelation of God to humanity. Every verse you read, even some of those obscure verses, and some of those that are hard, and some of those we think, well, if that chapter wasn't there, it wouldn't matter much. Every chapter, every verse has been put there is a part of what God is, has chosen to reveal to us as his creatures. And uh, we're, we're foolish to look at it uh, otherwise. But we just remember that the Bible is unlike any other book. I remember doing a, an assembly in school, and um, we understand why they've done this. They've got a big plaque on the wall, and they've got pictures of the various what they called holy books. So the Bible was placed there, and the Quran would be there, and books, I can't remember the names of the various religions. <coughs> and one understands you're going to teach the children about these different things, but you see, it's just putting the Bible next to the other what they call holy books, as if it's another book. We have to remember that God's chosen revelation of himself through the Bible is something very different. Yes, it is a book of instruction, but we have other books of instruction. It is a devotional book, but we have other devotional books. It's a book about God, and we have other books about God. But this book is the very outbreathed word of God. We don't have another one of those. It's 100% true from cover to cover. It is without error. We might argue a bit on translations. I'm talking about the original given Hebrew and Greek. Of course, it's without error. It's a living book, isn't it? It's sharper than a two-edged sword. I remember hearing a story of a man who used to do outdoor preaching, and that's often how he started. He'd have a Bible on the pavement, and he'd have a blanket over it. And he'd be dancing round it, saying, it's alive, it's alive. And people would gather and think, what's he got under there? Then he'd whip the blanket off and say, this is God's living book, and he'd preach the gospel. I'm not sure how that go down in Lincoln High Street at the moment, but nevertheless, we see the point was true. It's a living book, and it's a living book in the hand of God the Holy Spirit who wrote this book, who is the author. And, and these words, as it says, sharper than two-edged sword, to reach the heart. You can read a book, perhaps, and it make you a bit sad, or you might learn something, it might make you happy or whatever, but it doesn't reach your heart in that sense that, that God uses this book for the conviction of sin and the sa saving of sinners. And in this book we'll discover who God is, his demands, his attributes, his character. Everything that God wants us to know is there. If you wanted to just know any more, that would have been there. Sometimes we, uh, and I'm guilty of it as well, you read something and you think, I wonder what else happened there. But you see, it wasn't for us to know. So yes, we take what we call the presuppositional position that this is the word of God and we can rely on every word. Now people will say, but I don't believe the Bible. You might say, well, I'm not going to get any further than if I don't believe the Bible. Never forget that when we use the Bible in discussion and we think this person's not going to take this on board, that may be the case, but also remember, because this is a living book, because this is a book by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will take of his own words and may drop it into their hearts, stuff may be going on there that you don't know. The quoting of this book is powerful. When people pass texts up on the wall, we think, what's the point of putting that up there? God is the point of putting it up there. It, it can just be used of God. I mentioned, I think, only recently, my step-grandfather was converted by graffiti. 
doesn't mean we should go around writing on walls. Um, prepare to meet thy God. Someone had chalked it on the wall and it was used for his conversion. So, yes, he reveals himself through the word of God. And it's a powerful book and, and it's a sword that we're supposed to wield. But also he reveals himself, does he not, in Christ. We, we see God's attributes being outlived in Christ. Uh, 1 John 4, in this was manifest or revealed the love of God towards us because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. When we gaze into the face of Christ, even by faith as we read the scriptures, then that is a, a further revelation of his existence. We sing in a hymn, and I know it is only a hymn, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Hebrews 1 reminds us that Christ is the express image of God. You know, all that Christ did here on earth was to do the will of the Father who sent him. Uh, no one other than God could do the things that he did. No one other than God can forgive sin. No one else but God could give his life for sinners. And uh, there's much more than that. But we just look at this revelation. God reveals himself through his word, through his only begotten son, and also what I've called common sense or reason. You might find a better heading than that, I don't know. You know, when we look around us, whether it's up into the heavens or we look down to things like these flowers that are before us, we see the amazing design of God. Uh, when we perhaps have problems with our bodies in certain places and we're, the doctor will tell us how intricate things are. Common sense tells us this didn't just arrive. Um, you know, the most amazing design we can see in everything. But common sense should tell us that the, the, the theories that we see around us you know, there was a big bang, there was some slime, uh, and there we are. I know it sounds a bit silly, perhaps, but I was in the bedroom the other night, and uh, I just looked at myself in the mirror, and I won't say what I thought then, but then I looked at the wall, and there was a daddy long legs there. And it just came to me. We both came from the same lump of slime, and yet you're completely different design to me. I mean, I know it's a silly thought, but it's, it's amazing when you think of the different things that there are around us, that together they fit together as, as nature that God created and wanted to have together. The problem is that our sinful nature mars our common sense. So people miss the obvious. And in fact, they willfully turn away from the truth of God's word. Who can explain the wonder of the universe or its vastness? You know, we read of it in Genesis 1, and how brief that is, and, and uh, in Isaiah too, that God, I created the earth and the heavens, and it's a great economy of words again. There was one man who tried, a quote from a scientist named Trion, uh, who wrote an article entitled, The Accidental Universe. He wrote, our universe is simply one of those things that happen from time to time. I mean, it's, you just wouldn't think a man of intelligence would write such a thing. Everything you see around us, the heavens and the earth and all, it's just one of those things that happens. I've quoted this man before. In fact, I haven't got his name, but when you think of the marvels of DNA, etc., there are lots of puzzles for scientists. They don't understand it. When they find soft tissue inside the bone of a dinosaur, they realise it can't be billions of years old. It wouldn't survive that. And scientists says there are many things we don't understand about the universe, but whatever the answer is, it's not God. 
That's amazing, isn't it? We're going to look for any answer, but that's just one answer it's not going to be. If we strip it down to the obvious, we know that uh, nothing just happens by chance. When you go into the car dealership to buy a car, um, we know that that car didn't appear out of thin air. We know that someone designed it. We know someone got some rubber for tyres, someone got metal, someone got paint, someone put the engine together, and there's a, a myriad of things that have to be done. And I can't explain all those things. And today, of course, there's a, there's a few computers thro- thrown in. But what I do know, and so does every other person on this planet, it did not create itself. And if you kept it for billions of years, it would never create itself. And if we suggested that the appearance of a new car was one of those things that just happened from time to time, and that scientist who claims the whole universe happened, then I think he would think I was a fool. But there we are. Now, use, we use the same reasoning or common sense to the universe or the human body or even just one eye to bring about the, uh, the, 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 the effect, the design, the impact should tell us someone designed this. So how does God reveal himself to us? Through his written word, uh, through, uh, yes, his written word, the living word through Christ, through reason and common sense, and then we could say conscience. Listen to what scripture says in Romans 1. That which may be known of God is revealed in them, for God hath shown it unto them. We have a conscience, we have an awareness. One has said that conscience is that little built-in device that God put in us to react to the moral law that is written upon our hearts. And I think there's a lot of people out there who rail against God. They're actually not telling the truth. They're telling the truth that they want to rail against God, but they're not telling us the truth about whether they believe he's there or not. Why rail against someone who you think is not there? We have an instinct, don't we, that wants to tell us that our conscience is wrong. You look at many of these pride marches, and uh, I I read an article yesterday or today where they're trying to bring pride marches into rural areas, and it showed you some in Wales, and a very sad sight to see. And the instinct of people there is, we want to rebel, we want to be like we want to be. And perhaps for some of them it's in their subconscious, but what they're trying to do is to just tear up scripture, to tear up the relationship, not only between families, but between that which symbolises the church and Christ, and and they just want to put it in the melting pot. They want to get far away from holy scripture as they can. You say, well, looking around the world today, have people got a conscience? Look at some of the fraudsters. We see perhaps those in Russia who are generating... um, war at this particular time Uh, we think of influential people who in government have encouraged us to do things and to make legislation that is against the word of God and what about murderers who who have no guilt I remember reading a news item following a plane crash where the black box records the last pilot's words and uh, the last pilot's words were to hear him swearing at the voices coming from the warning signs, that there was something wrong, and there were various alarms that were going off on his instrument panel. And he was just switching them off, one after the other. And the next thing, the plane crashed. 
And that's what happens. People turn off their conscience to try and switch off any thoughts of God. Romans 1 again speaks of those who hold the truth in unrighteousness or suppress the truth as if it will go away. And I suppose people today very much are trying to reprogram their conscience um, so they don't feel guilty about sinful things. And the Lord says again in Romans 1, God gives them over to a reprobate mind. And that word reprobate there means he gives them over so they can no longer determine right from wrong. And that's a very sad situation to be in. How does the scripture speak of those then who sit on their conscience, as it were, to deny God? Psalm 14, 1, the fool have said in his heart, there is no God. Quite a powerful little verse, isn't it? The fool have said in his heart. People don't like to be called fools, I understand that. I want to be called a fool. But God says those words. A fool because we've ignored God's word, ignored our own reasoning facility, our own conscience, suppressed or switched off our conscience. But let's just move on. Uh, thirdly, notice the barriers to accepting God's existence. And these are quite useful to us because if we're Christians, we're talking to people and we come across one of these barriers, it's good to be forewarned and to think, well, what can I say if that's said to me? Now, the first and most obvious one is unbelief. And there are many sins in the Bible and um, uh, some are um, um, kind of underlined by God the Holy Spirit. But if, if you were to take, if you like, I won't say is the biggest sin, but it may well be, it is the sin of unbelief uh, because that overarches everything. I suppose it may not be quite so obvious, but we, we have that built-in bias to not believe, and that's a, a, that's a, a barrier, isn't it? So, for example, if, uh, if you tell me that there's a, a giraffe outside the chapel, um, I'd probably weigh up the likelihood of there being a giraffe out there uh, and, and choose whether to believe you or not. It's a very simple matter, but I have no bias. I don't particularly want a giraffe out there, but I don't particularly not want a giraffe out there. It just seems a little strange, but I've got no axe to grind. It doesn't really make any difference whether you're right or wrong. But when it comes to the claims of God, not to believe in God, there is a bias. There is a nature, isn't there? Our old nature gives us a propensity to unbelief. Scripture says, outside of Christ, we're dead in trespass and sin. And if we begin to see, well, God may exist, then there's an accountability, and people don't really want that. I say people have a propensity to claim not to believe, but I'm not sure there's anyone who doesn't believe something about God. In Ecclesiastes we read that God has put a sense of eternity into the heart of man. In other words, there is a seed thought in there, it says, that, that uh, enables man to see something of eternity. Not to understand it all, but to have at least an awareness there's something more than this. And of course, the devil will always be ready to help in his usual offering of lies. First uh, thing he said in the Bible, isn't it, concerning um, the things of God, he questions God's word. Has God said? Is that what he said? Are you sure you've got that right? And he's no different in these days. He says to humanity in large, does God exist? Are you sure you've got that right? How does he do that then? He actually attacks the points of God's revelation. So we said that God reveals himself to his word, then the devil attacks the word of God. 
uh, and how futile it is and tries to tell us how many mistakes there are in it. And when it comes to the revelation of himself through Christ, the devil comes along and says, well, he wasn't God, was he? He didn't deny the divinity of Christ. When it comes to people's reasoning and conscience, he gets people to deny what they see and replaces it with evolution. And when it comes to the conscience, as it were, he uses the lust of greed and all the other things we can find that we call sin in order to suppress the conscience. You don't want to believe that. This is what you can enjoy. People just want to be the captain of their own ship. We live in a time, don't we, when unbelief is particularly high at the moment. Um, Hebrews 3.12 speaks of an evil heart of unbelief. You know, some people will say, well, why should I believe in God when there are all of these wars and uh, trouble in the world? And on the surface, that sounds reasonable. It's a reasonable argument. It's something you might have to contend. But it, it's like all the other excuses. It falls back on unbelief. Unbelief of what God says about sin and the consequences of the fall upon the earth. God's very existence calls for belief. In Acts 17 we read there, uh, Paul is preaching, he says, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. It's not a kind of a lifestyle suggestion. It is a, a commanding word that God commands all men everywhere to repent. And so God's existence, as I say, is not a life choice but it is a sovereign call to bow the knee. I think there is also, we see some already who are very vocal in speaking against God. And uh, they're so bold, they will willfully confront him. I've heard one or two people say, well, if he exists, when I see him, I shall tell him the following. And I think you don't realise what you're saying. And yet, it's a bit like this morning, when we were talking about Noah, that those people were only one generation away from people who knew Adam, who knew everything that had gone, who knew Genesis 1 and, and further on, etc. And yet they chose to rebel against God. And so it is, if we go forward in time, when this world is in tribulation, when there is judgment coming, we read in Revelations, uh, they said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us, from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So they knew where this judgment's coming from and yet they still won't repent even though they're about to be uh, judged and for all eternity. And all they say is, well, let the rocks fall on us as if that's going to finish everything off. They knew of the existence of God but they didn't seek his mercy. I want to come to a little bit of application. Um, First of all, if you know not only that God exists, but his love is upon you in Christ, then there is not something there to rejoice about. This is by sovereign grace. When, uh, we often say, if you go out in the street and talk to someone about some of these issues, they will just keep walking, they won't be interested. But you're interested enough to come. You'll be interested tomorrow to read a passage of scripture. You'll be interested tonight and tomorrow to seek the face of the Lord. That's not normal. That's sovereign grace. God has intervened and he has saved you and blessed you. Why you? Why not the person who's walking past the chapel? We don't know. It's not our business, is it? Are we so good? Never. Paul said he was the chief of sinners. 
And I think we think he was a pretty great guy in many ways. What's the hymn say? Why was I led to believe? While millions make a wretched choice and rather starve than come. Perhaps too we should ponder in our quiet time the greatness of our God. You know, just some of the passages that speak of his greatness. I've read some verses from Isaiah 45, Psalm 113, you'll find many others that just draw from us. When we speak and think of how great God is, it draws by the Holy Spirit our love and our devotion to God. One has said, where reason fails with all her power, their faith prevails and love adores. And then perhaps speaking to people. If you get the chance to speak to someone, sometimes we have to try and begin where they are. We have to ascertain where are they, what do they already believe, and we have to try and build on that. And a number of people have been non-committal, won't they? They are, as I've said, agnostics, and I suspect most people would choose that word. If you're a Christian, an agnostic, or an atheist, quite a few people would choose that one in the middle, particularly if they thought, well, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not too sure. I'm sitting on the fence. It might surprise some to learn that actually Charles Darwin claimed to be agnostic. He didn't claim to be an atheist. One of his quotes, he was writing a letter to a friend. He says, in my most extreme fluctuations, I have never been an atheist in the sense of denying the existence of God. I think that generally, and more and more as I grow older, but not always, that an agnostic would be the most correct description of my state of mind. And that's, uh, I think, an interesting quote. So if you found someone someone like Darwin, um, you, you want to start where they are. But then, what kind of agnostic are you facing? You can't say that to someone, can you? Because they don't understand what you're talking about. But, for example, there are those who have never looked into the things of God. But they're open to do so. Agnostic, they would say. And that's great, because you can then, they're willing to listen. You can begin to open up to them. As I say, whether it's from the law, whether it's from creation, or, or the cross, wherever you find their knowledge, then go from there. But then there are those who have never looked into the things of God, and they don't want to. They don't want to. Now, that's a bias, isn't it? That's, uh, that's not really being agnostic. That's saying, I'm sitting on the fence, but I know which way I'm going to fall. There are those who simply feel they don't know. And then there are those who just don't want to know. As I say, some might claim to be fair as they're sitting on the fence, but they're really just as lost as the atheist. There is no sitting on the fence with God. Christ didn't hang on the cross so we could sit on a fence. He died on the cross that we might believe and be saved. But ultimately, trying to ascertain what people believe, trying to find the right verses, ultimately it's, it's prayer, isn't it? To pray, Lord, bring me to the right person, give me the right words, because the work that we need to be done within their souls is a work of God's grace. I can't wake them up from their sin. I can't bring them to new life, but God can. So we speak to the sinner and we plead with God that God will speak to the sinner in that saving way. And finally then tonight, let's remind ourselves, this is the God we shall meet. In the beginning, God. He exists. We are accountable to him. In particular, what we do with his only begotten son. This is the God who so loved us that he gave us his son. And we will meet him as the friend of sinners or the judge of all the earth.
You know, it's a wonderful thing. God has reached down to us in Christ. We need to seek him. One has said that in one sense, everything that exists is evidence of God's existence. A way we give that evidence in the way in which we live. May the Lord so help us to his glory.